november eleventh through seventeen of morning and evening daily readings this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by heidi park morning and evening daily readings by charles spurgeon morning november eleven underneath are the everlasting arms deuteronomy chapter thirty three verse twenty seven god the eternal god is himself our support at all times and especially when we are sinking in deep trouble there are seasons when the christian sinks very low in humiliation under a deep sense of his great sinfulness he is humbled before god till he scarcely knows how to pray because he appears in his own sight so worthless well child of god remember that when thou art at thy worst and lowest yet underneath thee are everlasting arms sin may drag thee ever so low but christ's great atonement is still under all you may have descended into the deeps but you cannot have fallen so low as the uttermost and to the uttermost he saves again the christian sometimes sinks very deeply in sore trial from without every earthly prop is cut away what then still underneath him are the everlasting arms he cannot fall so deep in distress and affliction but what the covenant grace of an ever faithful god will still encircle him the christian may be sinking under trouble from within through fierce conflict but even then he cannot be brought so low as to be beyond the reach of the everlasting arms they are underneath him and while thus sustained all satan's efforts to harm him avail nothing this assurance of support is a comfort to any weary but earnest worker in the service of god it implies a promise of strength for each day grace for each need and power for each duty and further when death comes the promise shall still hold good when we stand in the midst of jordan we shall be able to say with david i fear no evil for thou art with me we shall descend into the grave but we shall go no lower for the eternal arms prevent our further fall all through life and at its close we shall be upheld by the everlasting arms arms that neither flag nor lose their strength for the everlasting god fainteth not neither is weary evening november eleven he shall choose our inheritance for us psalm chapter forty seven verse four believer if your inheritance be a lowly one you should be satisfied with your earthly portion for you may rest assured that it is the fittest for you unerring wisdom ordained your lot and selected for you the safest and best condition a ship of large tonnage is to be brought up the river now in one part of the stream there is a sandbank should some one ask why does the captain steer through the deep part of the channel and deviate so much from a straight line his answer would be because i should not get my vessel into harbour at all if i did not keep to the deep channel so it may be you would run aground and suffer shipwreck if your divine captain did not steer you into the depths of affliction where waves of trouble follow each other in quick succession some plants die if they have too much sunshine it may be that you are planted where you get but little you are put there by the loving husbandman because only in that situation will you bring forth fruit unto perfection remember this had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are divine love would have put you there you are placed by god in the most suitable circumstances and if you had the choosing of your lot you would soon cry lord choose my inheritance for me for by my self will i am pierced through with many sorrows 
Be content with such things as you have, since the Lord has ordained all things for your good. Take up your own daily cross, it is the burden best suited for your shoulder, and will prove most effective to make you perfect in every good word and work to the glory of God. Down, busy self, and proud impatience. It is not for you to choose, but for the Lord of love. Trials must and will befall, but with humble faith to see, love inscribed upon them all, this is happiness to me. Morning, November 12th. The Trial of Your Faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Faith untried may be true faith, but it is sure to be little faith, and it is likely to remain dwarfish so long as it is without trials. Faith never prospers so well as when all things are against her. Tempests are her trainers, and lightnings are her illuminators. When a calm reigns on the sea, spread the sails as you will. The ship moves not to its harbor, for on a slumbering ocean the keel sleeps too. Let the winds rush howling forth, and let the waters lift up themselves. Then, though the vessel may rock, and her deck may be washed with waves, and her mast may creak under the pressure of the full and swelling sail, it is then that she makes headway towards her desired haven. No flowers wear so lovely a blue as those which grow at the foot of the frozen glacier. No stars gleam so brightly as those which glisten in the polar sky. No water tastes so sweet as that which springs amidst the desert sand, and no faith is so precious as that which lives and triumphs in adversity. Tried faith brings experience. You could not have believed your own weakness had you not been compelled to pass through the rivers, and you would never have known God's strength had you not been supported amid the water floods. Faith increases in solidity, assurance, and intensity the more it is exercised with tribulation. Faith is precious, and its trial is precious too. Let not this, however, discourage those who are young in faith. You will have trials enough without seeking them. The full portion will be measured out to you in due season. Meanwhile, if you cannot yet claim the result of long experience, thank God for what grace you have. Praise Him for that degree of holy confidence whereunto you have attained. Walk according to that rule, and you shall yet have more and more of the blessing of God, till your faith shall remove mountains and conquer impossibilities. Evening, November 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 6 verse 12. If ever one of woman born might have lived without prayer, it was our spotless perfect Lord, and yet none was ever so much in supplication as he. Such was his love to his Father, that he loved much to be in communion with him, such his love for his people, that he desired to be much in intercession for them. The fact of this eminent prayerfulness of Jesus is a lesson for us. He hath given us an example that we may follow in his steps. The time he chose was admirable. It was the hour of silence, when the crowd would not disturb him. The time of inaction, when all but himself had ceased to labor, and the season when slumber made men forget their woes, and cease their applications to him for relief. While others found rest and sleep, he refreshed himself with prayer. The place was also well selected. He was alone where no one would intrude, where none could observe. Thus he was free from pharisaic ostentation and vulgar interruption. Those dark and silent hills were a fit oratory for the Son of God. Heaven and earth in midnight stillness heard the groans and sighs of the mysterious being in whom both worlds were blended. The continuance of his pleadings is remarkable. The long watches were not too long. The cold wind did not chill his devotions. The grim darkness did not darken his faith, or loneliness check his importunity. We cannot watch with him one hour, but he watched for us whole nights. 
The occasion for this prayer is notable. It was after his enemies had been enraged. Prayer was his refuge and solace. It was before he sent forth the twelve apostles. Prayer was the gate of his enterprise, the herald of his new work. Should we not learn from Jesus to resort to special prayer when we are under peculiar trial, or contemplate fresh endeavors for the Master's glory? Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Morning, November 13. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. John chapter 15, verse 4. How did you begin to bear fruit? It was when you came to Jesus and cast yourself on his great atonement, and rested on his finished righteousness. Ah, what fruit you had then! Do you remember those early days? Then indeed the vine flourished, the tender grape appeared, the pomegranate budded forth, and the beds of spices gave forth their smell. Have you declined since then? If you have, we charge you to remember that time of love, and repent, and do thy first works. Be most in those engagements which you have experimentally proved to draw you nearest to Christ, because it is from Him that all your fruits proceed. Any holy exercise which will bring you to Him will help you to bear fruit. The sun is, no doubt, a great worker in fruit-creating among the trees of the orchard, and Jesus is still more so among the trees of his garden of grace. When have you been the most fruitless? Has it not been when you have lived farthest from the Lord Jesus Christ, when you have slackened in prayer, when you have departed from the simplicity of your faith, when your graces have engrossed your intention instead of your Lord, when you have said, My mountain standeth firm, I shall never be moved, and have forgotten where your strength dwells? Has it not been then that your fruit has ceased? Some of us have been taught that we are nothing out of Christ, by terrible abasements of heart before the Lord. And when we have seen the utter barrenness and death of all creature power, we have cried in anguish, From him all my fruit must be found, for no fruit can ever come from me. We are taught, by past experience, that the more simply we depend upon the grace of God in Christ, and wait upon the Holy Spirit, the more we shall bring forth fruit unto God. Oh, to trust Jesus for fruit as well as for life! Evening, November 13. Men ought always to pray. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. If men ought always to pray and not to faint, much more Christian men. Jesus has sent his church into the world on the same errand upon which he himself came, and this mission includes intercession. What if I say that the church is the world's priest? Creation is dumb, but the church is to find a mouth for it. It is the church's high privilege to pray with acceptance. The door of grace is always open for her petitions, and they never return empty-handed. The veil was rent for her, the blood was sprinkled upon the altar for her, God constantly invites her to ask what she wills. Will she refuse the privilege which angels might envy her? Is she not the bride of Christ? May she not go in unto her king at every hour? Shall she allow the precious privilege to be unused? The church always has need for prayer. There are always some in her midst who are declining, or falling into open sin. There are lambs to be prayed for, that they may be carried in Christ's bosom, the strong, lest they grow presumptuous, and the weak, lest they become despairing. If we kept up prayer meetings four and twenty hours in the day, all the days in the year, we might never be without a special subject for supplication. Are we ever without the sick and the poor, the afflicted and the wavering? Are we ever without those who seek the conversion of relatives, the reclaiming of backsliders, or the salvation of the depraved? Nay, with congregations constantly gathering, with ministers always preaching, with millions of sinners lying dead in trespasses and sins, in a country over which the darkness of Romanism is certainly descending, in a world full of idols, cruelties, devilries, if the church doth not pray, how shall she excuse her base neglect of the commission of her loving Lord? Let the church be in constant supplication. Let every private believer cast his might of prayer into the treasury.
Morning, November 14. I will cut off them that worship and that swear by the Lord, and that swear by Malcolm. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 5. Such persons thought themselves safe, because they were with both parties. They went with the followers of Jehovah, and bowed at the same time to Malcolm. But duplicity is abominable with God, and hypocrisy his soul hateth. The idolater who distinctly gives himself to his false god has one sin less than he who brings his polluted and detestable sacrifice unto the temple of the Lord, while his heart is with the world and the sins thereof. To hold with the hare and run with the hounds is a dastard's policy. In the common matters of daily life a double-minded man is despised, but in religion he is loathsome to the last degree. The penalty pronounced in the verse before us is terrible, but it is well deserved. For how should divine justice spare the sinner who knows the right, approves it, and professes to follow it, and all the while loves the evil, and gives it dominion in his heart? My soul, search thyself this morning, and see whether thou art guilty of double-dealing. Thou professest to be a follower of Jesus, dost thou truly love him? Is thy heart right with God? Art thou of the family of old father honest, or art thou a relative of Mr. Byans? A name to live is of little value if I be indeed dead in trespasses and sins. To have one foot on the land of truth, and another on the sea of falsehood, will involve a terrible fall and a total ruin. Christ will be all or nothing. God fills the whole universe, and hence there is no room for another God. If, then, he reigns in my heart, there will be no space for another reigning power. Do I rest alone on Jesus crucified, and live alone for him? Is it my desire to do so? Is my heart set upon so doing? If so, blessed be the mighty grace which has led me to salvation. And if not so, O Lord, pardon my sad offense, and unite my heart to fear thy name. Evening, November 14. And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country, to give the younger before the firstborn. Genesis chapter 29 verse 26. We do not excuse Laban for his dishonesty, but we scruple not to learn from the custom which he quoted as his excuse. There are some things which must be taken in order, and if we would win the second we must secure the first. The second may be the more lovely in our eyes, but the rule of the heavenly country must stand, and the elder must be married first. For instance, many men desire the beautiful and well-favored Rachel of joy and peace in believing, but they must first be wedded to the tender-eyed Leah of repentance. Every one falls in love with happiness, and many would cheerfully serve twice seven years to enjoy it. But according to the rule of the Lord's kingdom, the Leah of real holiness must be beloved of our soul before the Rachel of true happiness can be attained. Heaven stands not first but second, and only by persevering to the end can we win a portion in it. The cross must be carried before the crown can be worn. We must follow our Lord in his humiliation, or we shall never rest with him in glory. My soul, what sayest thou? Art thou so vain as to hope to break through the heavenly rule? Dost thou hope for reward without labor, or honor without toil? Dismiss the idle expectation, and be content to take the ill-favored things for the sake of the sweet love of Jesus, which will recompense thee for all. In such a spirit, laboring and suffering, thou wilt find bitters grow sweet, and hard things easy. Like Jacob, thy years of service will seem unto thee but a few days for the love thou hast to Jesus. And when the dear hour of the wedding feast shall come, all thy toil shall be as though they had never been. An hour with Jesus will make up for ages of pain and labor. Jesus, to win thyself so fair, thy cross I will with gladness bear. Since so the rules of heaven ordain, the first I'll wed, the next to gain. Morning, November 15. The Lord's portion is his people. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9. 
How are they his? By his own sovereign choice. He chose them and set his love upon them. This he did altogether apart from any goodness in them at the time, or any goodness which he foresaw in them. He had mercy on whom he would have mercy, and ordained a chosen company unto eternal life. Thus, therefore, are they his by his unconstrained election. They are not only his by choice, but by purchase. He has bought and paid for them to the utmost farthing, hence about his title there can be no dispute. Not with corruptible things, as with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord's portion has been fully redeemed. There is no mortgage on his estate. No suits can be raised by opposing claimants. The price was paid in open court, and the church is the Lord's freehold forever. See the blood mark upon all the chosen, invisible to the human eye, but known to Christ, for the Lord knoweth them that are his. He forgetteth none of those whom he has redeemed from among men. He counts the sheep for whom he laid down his life, and remembers well the church for which he gave himself. They are also his by conquest. What a battle he had in us before we would be won! How long he laid siege to our hearts! How often he sent us terms of capitulation! But we barred our gates and fenced our walls against him. Do we not remember that glorious hour when he carried our hearts by storm? When he placed his cross against the wall and scaled our ramparts, planting on our strongholds the blood-red flag of his omnipotent mercy. Yes, we are, indeed, the conquered captives of his omnipotent love. Thus chosen, purchased, and subdued, the rights of our divine possessor are inalienable. We rejoice that we can never be our own, and we desire, day by day, to do his will and to show forth his glory. Evening, November 15. Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. Psalm chapter 68, verse 28. It is our wisdom, as well as our necessity, to beseech God continually to strengthen that which he has wrought in us. It is because of their neglect in this that many Christians may blame themselves for those trials and afflictions of spirit which arise from unbelief. It is true that Satan seeks to flood the fair garden of the heart and make it a scene of desolation, but it is also true that many Christians leave open the sluice gates themselves, and let in the dreadful deluge through carelessness and want of prayer to their strong helper. We often forget that the author of our faith must be the preserver of it also. The lamp which was burning in the temple was never allowed to go out but it had to be daily replenished with fresh oil. In like manner, our faith can only live by being sustained with the oil of grace, and we can only obtain this from God himself. Foolish virgins we shall prove, if we do not secure the needed sustenance for our lamps. He who built the world upholds it, or it would fall in one tremendous crash. He who made us Christians must maintain us by his spirit, or our ruin will be speedy and final. Let us then, evening by evening, go to our Lord for the grace and strength we need. We have a strong argument to plead, for it is his own work of grace which we ask him to strengthen, that which thou hast wrought for us. Think you he will fail to protect and sustain that? Only let your faith take hold of his strength, and all the powers of darkness, led on by the master fiend of hell, cannot cast a cloud or shadow over your joy and peace. Why faint when you may be strong? Why suffer defeat when you may conquer? Oh, take your wavering faith and drooping graces to him who can revive and replenish them, and earnestly pray, Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. Morning, November 16. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 24. It is not, The Lord is partly my portion, nor, The Lord is in my portion, but he himself makes up the sum total of my soul's inheritance. Within the circumference of that circle lies all that we possess or desire. The Lord is my portion. Not his grace merely, nor his love, nor his covenant, 
but Jehovah himself. He has chosen us for his portion, and we have chosen him for ours. It is true that the Lord must first choose our inheritance for us, or else we shall never choose it for ourselves. But if we are really called according to the purpose of electing love, we can sing. Loved of my God, for him again, with intense love I burn. Chosen of him, ere time began, I choose him in return. The Lord is our all-sufficient portion. God fills himself, and if God is all-sufficient in himself, he must be all-sufficient for us. It is not easy to satisfy man's desires. When he dreams that he is satisfied, anon he wakes to the perception that there is somewhat yet beyond, and straightway the horse-leech in his heart cries, Give! Give! But all that we can wish for is to be found in our divine portion, so that we may ask, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Well may we delight ourselves in the Lord, who makes us to drink of the river of his pleasures. Our faith stretches her wings and mounts like an eagle into the heaven of divine love as to her proper dwelling place. The lines have fallen to us in pleasant places. Yeah, we have a goodly heritage. Let us rejoice in the Lord always. Let us show to the world that we are a happy and a blessed people, and thus induce them to exclaim, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Evening, November 16. Thine eyes shall see the King in his beauty. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 17. The more you know about Christ, the less you will be satisfied with superficial views of him, and the more deeply you study his transactions in the eternal covenant, his engagements on your behalf as the eternal surety, and the fullness of his grace which shines in all his offices, the more truly will you see the King in his beauty. Be much in such outlooks. Long more and more to see Jesus. Meditation and contemplation are often like windows of agate, and gates of carbuncle, through which we behold the Redeemer. Meditation puts the telescope to the eye, and enables us to see Jesus after a better sort than we could have seen him if we had lived in the days of his flesh. Would that our conversation were more in heaven, and that we were more taken up with the person, the work, the beauty of our incarnate Lord. More meditation and the beauty of the king would flash upon us with more resplendence. Beloved, it is very probable that we shall have such a sight of our glorious king as we had never had before when we come to die. Many saints in dying have looked up from amidst the stormy waters and have seen Jesus walking on the waves of the sea and heard him say, It is I, be not afraid. Ah, yes, when the tenement begins to shake and the clay falls away, we see Christ through the rifts and between the rafters the sunlight of heaven comes streaming in. But if we want to see face to face the king in his beauty, we must go to heaven for the sight, or the king must come here in person. Oh, that he would come on the wings of the wind! He is our husband, and we are widowed by his absence. He is our brother dear and fair, and we are lonely without him. Thick veils and clouds hang between our souls in their true life. When shall the day break and the shadows flee away? Oh, long-expected day, begin! Morning, November 17 to whom be glory for ever. Amen. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. To whom be glory for ever. This should be the single desire of the Christian. All other wishes must be subservient and tributary to this one. The Christian may wish for prosperity in his business, but only so far as it may help him to promote this. To him be glory for ever. He may desire to attain more gifts and more graces, but it should only be that to him may be glory for ever. You are not acting as you ought to do when you are moved by any other motive than a single eye to your Lord's glory. As a Christian, you are of God and through God, then live to God. Let nothing ever set your heart beating so mightily as to love him. 
Let this ambition fire your soul, be this the foundation of every enterprise upon which you enter, and this your sustaining motive whenever your zeal would grow chill, make God your only object. Depend upon it, where self begins, sorrow begins, but if God be my supreme delight and only object, to me tis equal whether love or deign, my life or death, appoint me ease or pain. Let your desire for God's glory be a growing desire. You blessed him in your youth. Do not be content with such praises as you gave him then. Has God prospered you in business? Give him more as he has given you more. Has God given you experience? Praise him by stronger faith than you exercised at first. Does your knowledge grow? Then sing more sweetly. Do you enjoy happier times than you once had? Have you been restored from sickness, and has your sorrow been turned into peace and joy? Then give him more music, put more coals and more sweet frankincense into the censer of your praise. Practically in your life give him honor, putting the Amen to this doxology to your great and gracious Lord, by your own individual service and increasing holiness. Evening, November 17 he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 9 Oppressors may get their will of poor and needy men as easily as they can split logs of wood, but they had better mind, for it is a dangerous business, and a splinter from a tree has often killed the woodman. Jesus is persecuted in every injured saint, and he is mighty to avenge his beloved ones. Success in dreading down the poor and needy is a thing to be trembled at. If there be no danger to persecutors here, there will be great danger hereafter. To cleave wood is a common everyday business, and yet it has its dangers. So then, reader, there are dangers connected with your calling and daily life which it will be well for you to be aware of. We refer not to hazards by flood and field, or by disease and sudden death, but to perils of a spiritual sort. Your occupation may be as humble as log-splitting, and yet the devil can tempt you in it. You may be a domestic servant, a farm laborer, or a mechanic, and you may be greatly screened from temptations to the grosser vices, and yet some secret sin may do you damage. Those who dwell at home, and mingle not with the rough world, may yet be endangered by their very seclusion. Nowhere is he safe who thinks himself so. Pride may enter a poor man's heart, avarice may reign in a cottager's bosom, uncleanness may venture into the quietest home, and anger and envy and malice may insinuate themselves in the most rural abode. Even in speaking a few words to a servant we may sin. A little purchase at a shop may be the first link in a chain of temptations. The mere looking out of a window may be the beginning of evil. O oh Lord, how exposed we are! How shall we be secured? To keep ourselves is work too hard for us. Only thou thyself art able to preserve us in such a world of evils. Spread thy wings over us, and we, like little chickens, will cower down beneath thee, and feel ourselves safe. End of November 11-17